0: Welcome to the Leading Voices with ULI, a podcast of the Urban Land Institute. In this podcast series, we interview city builders who use innovative approaches to create healthier, more economically vibrant communities with character and a high quality of life. These leaders provide inspiration to those of us looking to play a role in building better cities.
1: Hi, this is Matt Sleppen, host of Leading Voices with ULI, welcoming you to the latest installment of our podcast series. Today's conversation is with Ellen Winkler, who, with her husband Jason Winkler, is the developer of innovative new mixed-use and co-working spaces in Denver, Battery 621, and Industry Denver. Ellen and Jason fell into development after moving their video production and design business to Denver from Jackson Hole, Wyoming they couldn't find appropriate space for their creative business. I'd call them accidental developers who've created a whole new approach to an office environment as yet another option that's very different both from the WeWorks world and the traditional office world. We also talk about family, bike commuting, civic engagement, and the politics and pleasures of having dogs in the office. I hope that you find good meaning from our conversation. If you've been a listener to the podcast series, you know that in my day job, I'm the founder of Terra Search Partners, a real estate focused search firm where I get to interview leaders in the real estate business as clients and candidates. On the podcast, I get to do the same, but for the purpose of sharing unique stories of leadership and accomplishments in the different nooks and crannies of the real estate world with both ULI members and other listeners. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I hope that you will subscribe to the series which you can do on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. I invite you to review the series on the iTunes store, and we welcome your comments, feedback, and discussion on ULI's Facebook or Twitter, or via email at uli.org or to me directly at matt at Maybe give us a quick elevator speech of all of these diverse things that you're currently doing, and then we can drill down and talk about many of them. But I'm curious, you, you have such a range of activities, I'd love to hear what they are.
0: Yeah, so my husband and I are partners in a business, and we do development. And we, you know, our core business is developing commercial office space. But in the meantime, I like to do my own interior design work and we also have our own gc company and i also do some brand identity and narrative work for different outside companies also kind of a lot of different things going on you know we have a great team here in denver and but we have a lot of different things going on and kind of multiple companies that kind of cover a lot of a lot of ground here
1: and the main activity is office space and office space ain't what it used to be so maybe no, let's important.
0: <laughs> We're not like, like the norm anymore. Nope.
1: Yeah. So maybe that's the place to start because that is your main activity. And tell us about Battery 60, 621 and in Industry Denver.
0: So both of these spaces are what I like to call more of a created creative office space or an ecosystem of companies that are under one roof. You know, the big hot word in office space is co-working right now, and one thing I like to say is that we actually don't really co-work here. We just happen to be a bunch of really great companies that live under one roof and we share a bunch of amenities with each other. But when you go back to your office, you actually close a door. Your own company identity comes out. And it's just a different way to let people rent a little bit less space, but share in this great work environment and the exciting times of more collaborative workspace. So that's kind of where both buildings kick off for us. Does that kind of uh-huh. make sense of what we're doing here?
1: Yes, but make it real from a physical standpoint, and maybe tell us what was the first project, what was the second project, where are they physically, what's going on?
0: So our first project, I I like to say that we're accidental developers because we really didn't cut out to, to be developers and to do what we're doing on a grand scale. My husband and I, you know, we're coming to Denver, and that's a really long story on why we came. But we were moving to Denver, we were doing television production, and we really We're looking for a space that spoke to the demographic of who we were and who we worked with. We were fortunate to be in television production and events and we worked for great companies. Um, My biggest client was Red Bull. My husband ran the International Free Skiing Association. We did all the big mountain skiing events. We did kind of exotic travel events for Nat Geo or different HD television networks. And when we decided to open up an office in Denver, we couldn't find an office that spoke to who we were and the people that worked there. One of the things that was really important to us was we have a very let my people surf philosophy of work. And we wanted that to come through in the workspace. We wanted to make it fun. We wanted, if we were going to be there long hours, we were going to be able to bring our dogs. We were going to be able to drink beer. We were going to have a rooftop deck to go out on. And so when we moved to Denver, we didn't find that anywhere everything was really really traditional for us and we just uh-huh. kept saying we can't we only needed five thousand square feet or eight thousand between five and eight we can't go in a normal building one the price throw us out because we're editing there's music you know and so we started to look around and we couldn't afford anything we didn't have a trust fund it was just the two of us and we just said hey you know and why don't we build our own office We had done a little bit of a rehab up in Jackson Hole, where we're from. And so we started that way. And that was kind of how the whole thing started. We were just going to do something for us. And, you know, the economy was in the tank at this point. It was about six years ago. And came down to Denver, and we started looking at buildings. And we quickly realized that we were not going to be in a very nice neighborhood, but that was okay. So we ended up purchasing an old abandoned warehouse on the corner of 6th and Calamath in Denver, kind of on the skirts of the Santa Fe Art District at the time. But the building uh-huh. had been empty and, you know, nobody really could see a use for it. We looked at it and we're like, wow, it's the fastest way out to the mountains from Denver. And that was really important to us. We were big into action sports. We wanted right. to be able to go hike Berthoud Pass before we went to ski. We wanted to be able to, you know, go for a mountain bike ride. So access to the mountains was was to us and then the price was right and it was really ugly and nobody wanted it so we were like hey let's buy a building so How big was um, ugly't afford to do it our a, a empty building and we couldn't afford to do it ourselves because we needed 8,000 square feet and the building was 30 so we went and partnered with two gentlemen who were up in Evergreen who were also going to bring their business to Denver um, that we had worked with at Red Bull, they produce event infrastructure, and they do photography for all lifestyle brands. And we said, hey, let's buy it together. And so we re- we got the money together. But then we realized we still had another extra, fi- you know, 15,000 square feet that we weren't going to use. So we said, all right, let's just chop it up. And we'll just ask some of our other buddies in the, in the lifestyle industry to join us. Uh-huh. And we did that. And Icelandic skis moved in, gibberish moved in, A whole bunch of different companies like that all just were like, hey, that sounds really cool. Nobody's going to judge us. Nobody cares what we do. We can be super loose. And the next thing you know, we opened 30,000 square feet and we were full. It was kind of crazy. We had no idea how we were going to make it work. We didn't know how to write leases. We were just literally making it up as we went along.
1: Hey, what is gibberish? (laughs) What's gibberish do?
0: Gibberish is uh, like a skate ski clothing company super, super hip company that has blown up out of Denver, but they're like lifestyle after, after snow, after, you know, ski, skate.
1: Uh-huh. Blowed up and mean Icelandic they're drawn or blown up means they're blowing up, up, doing up so like much big, more.
0: They're doing so much more. They have retail stores now, they're clothing kind of, you know, one of the cooler brands are around right now.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: And Icelandic skis was another tenant and they're, they're probably one of the most, you know, known, Colorado-based ski manufacturers. Their art, their graphics is, amaz- is amazing work. And they too have now grown up and have their own storefront and have, have become a real force in the ski industry.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you complete the first building. It's, what what is this, 2010,
0: 2011? Yep, 2010, 2011. We complete the first building. You know, everybody in town kind of wants to see what this is about. They've never seen anything like, you know, those kids over there. I remember one of, we used to have first Friday parties or we still have first Friday parties, but one of the first ones we had, I'm sitting there in my office and I'm working and we're still doing television production and event management at this time. That's what we're still, you know, that was our core work. And I'm sitting in my office and I look out the window and there is an inflatable swimming slide in our parking lot. And A stage and a band and everything getting set up right on the corner of the street in a neighborhood in Denver that, you know, you didn't really go to very often. I mean, there were definitely homeless people and needles and and stuff in our building when we bought it. And all of a sudden, right on the one of the busiest corners in all of Denver, all of this stuff is going on in the parking lot. And I'm like, oh, my God, what have we done here? And it just kind of took off from from there to this almost in the beginning it was like a cult like following if we threw a party there were 400 people our doors were packed it was it was crazy the kind of reception that we got from everybody in denver
1: so then you went and did it again
0: so it took some time you know first we just kind of lived in our world and all of a sudden all of these, you know, developers and people in Denver were coming in. The mayor was having meetings in the building. Everybody's kind of coming in and talking about it. And a bunch of real estate people were like, you guys need to do this again. And we were like, yeah, but we're, you know, I don't know. We don't need it. Um, but it took, I would say, at least at least a good 18 months to two years to really be talked into. Perhaps this is more lucrative than what we're doing in television and film. And perhaps it's time to hit the street and just see what's out there. You know, there there were many iterations of, and different ideas of what the next would be. But, you know, we started going around and we were partnered with a large developer in the beginning of this. And the two of us started looking at properties all over Denver. And that's kind of how the next started going. And, you know, again, we didn't have the financial backing. You know, this is something that wasn't really bankable yet. Nobody had done it. And so we just started looking around neighborhoods and what we could afford and probably looked at about a hundred different buildings and then headed up towards River North, which is where we are now, and walked into an old supermarket warehouse and instantly fell in love and was like, uh-huh. This is it. This is uh-huh. the promised land. This has to be our next building. So so we kind of started looking at that and you know, you got still a group with the together.
1: We are not with
0: that partner. No, in fact, nope, nope. We we were with that partner. We assembled four different lots together. Actually, industry is 12 acres, so four different parcels. We got them together, and the day that we were supposed to close on the property, the partnership fell fell apart, and we lost the deal, and they bought the property without us. Kind of heart wrenching for us because our our everything we owned had gone into that down payment. So yeah, so we actually lost industry for about a year, kind of said, oh, well, we'll look around a little bit more, but we kept doing our television production stuff, and we're like, maybe it's just not meant to be. And then we were able to pick the deal back up, and that's where we got really serious.
1: Hey, let me and ask a question. Did did that, the yeah. partners that you were doing the deal with, you lost a down payment that got it, but then a year later, did they never close? This happens a lot. All these things you're they saying happen a lot.
0: They- on it, they closed on it, they did close on it just in a way that we didn't find was the smartest way to do it, and we couldn't agree with it, so no, they closed, but then they couldn't ever they were going to try and flip it, and they couldn't get it to flip. you know this Got is it. back before River North was ever happening. you know there mm-hmm. were, we were in an abandoned you know this was an abandoned warehouse neighborhood with a homeless shelter next to us, and getting that off the ground when there was nothing else in this neighborhood. You know, people didn't understand it yet. It was a big risk. And, and you know, not having an engine to reignite a neighborhood, I, I just don't think, you, you know, I don't think anybody's thought enough about it. When they went their way, we were like, okay, but they didn't have the idea and the creativity and the placemaking to know what mm-hmm. to do with this land where we were like, we, we got it. So I just don't think that putting housing here to start a neighborhood was ever going to be the answer. You needed something to come first. So I just don't think they had success in flipping the land. So that's when we were able to step in and, and buy it buy it back.
1: Okay, so and give us the picture again. So it's four parcels. How many acres and how many square feet of existing buildings? And then what what's the range of stuff that you've eventually right. have so or it, will put it, in there?
0: It's uh, so it's 12 acres. It was four parcels, and we kept the original 80,000 square foot building, which was the supermarket warehouse, that was phase one and two of industry. Uh Then we ended up doing another 70,000. So we're about 145,000 square feet of office with three levels of parking. So that's all of the office space that we have here now. And that's Uh all built, finished and done. Then next door to us, and least. We are a hundred percent full here. We don't have an office right now.
1: Okay. I can't wait to ask you Uh, the names of the tenants in this place, but we'll get there in a minute.
0: Okay. Then to the North of us on the property, we're doing about a 280 unit high rise, Uh a little bit higher end than what's normally in our neighborhood. And then we partnered with the Lind group out of San Antonio, Texas, and they're doing that project. Uh-huh. And then we have, we're going to be doing 60 brownstones on the riverfront. Will be the, the, the next parcel, the third parcel. Uh-huh. One and two we put together to the office. So that's kind of the whole neighborhood that will happen.
1: And is there um, we a also rest- have, restaurant retail?
0: There is four restaurants and no retail in this space. So, you know, we have an internal restaurant. Uh Troy Gard, who's one of the quintessential Denver restaurateurs, has Mr tuna. We have a little pub company has a little pub called will call. We have a little new restaurant that'll be coming i can't that hasn't been announced yet, and then our interior cafe restaurant so we uh-huh. have four restaurants on the block
1: in and, and are the is the tenant base as it was in the first property i'm gonna say it this the wrong way, but united no. by being weird or is this or is it more of a diverse tenant base?
0: So the first property was definitely lifestyle and is still definitely just lifestyle. The second property, we went in thinking it would have to be mostly technology. And yes, we are anchored by a lot of technology. But I would say it's really just great Colorado brands. It turned Mm -hmm. out to be. Yeah, we're very heavily technology. But Snooze's corporate headquarters is in our building. You know, they're the best breakfast place in, in Colorado. Yes, we have Uber's headquarters for this region here but we also have core power yoga and pure bars corporate headquarters and a yoga studio in our building you know Mm -hmm. so we thought we were headed really towards tech and we have cloud elements and all these great tech companies but really it, it seems like we just hit on a niche of really great strong brands and companies in one building
1: and and in either building is there you talked about it's not collaborative workspace it's Kind of community creative. work. We
0: kind of creative. say creative workspaces. Yeah. And, and the big difference um, is everything that you see on the outside, the sh- all the walls that we share are the same. And I design all of the kind of collaborative spaces that we share. I, we do our kitchens. I do our conference rooms, our stadium seating. You know, that is all designed by my team. But the minute you go into someone's space – that's their space to shine. That's their brand that sticks out. It doesn't matter how they decide to decorate it or furnish it or use their space. You know, we keep everything quiet on the outside so that the tenants really and their brand and who they are come through. That's uh-huh. a really big, decide. you know, something that's very different when people hear, you know, if you look at a WeWork or you look at some of those companies, they all look the same. You know, right. the tables are, you, you know, you buy the tables, you buy your furniture, it's a box, they look the same. Ours is all custom for how you want a, your office to be.
1: Which so is I normal really office different. space. It's normal office space. You kind of have the, the collaborative feeling in the common areas, but you have their own space in their own office, yep. which is more normal. It's just that yeah. the activity in the, in the common spaces are so different. And what is stadium seating? Right. I haven't heard that word often associated so with have, an office space.
0: Yeah, so when you walk into our entrance, one of the first things you see is – a gathering place for about 175 people and it's basically a stadium with a projector with music whatever needs so if you're a tenant and at five o'clock you want to have an event it's part of the amenities of the building um, you can have a speaking series you can throw a party you can watch a movie but it's just a place for people to come together and gather that's kind of the heart and soul of our building it's right connected to the cafe and everything, so it's kind of right up front center, and just a place where there during the day there's ping pong tables in there, there's foosball, and you can kind of just go and hang out together. But and then have an event in the stadium if you want also.
1: And and the activation of the space and then the something in common that the tenants have makes people want to be there. And and how yeah. are are, is, are the common spaces kind of constantly being used and are, are they are companies having a easier time attracting and retaining people because it's a cool place to be? And or are company, those people somehow finding ways to collaborate or work together between companies?
0: So one of the things, we don't have a lot of competition in our buildings. Not to say that some companies don't overlap a little bit, but because we, we, you know, I like to say we create the perfect dinner party here. We kind of don't want a bunch of PR companies, you want one so that everybody can kind of play off each other and help each other out. And there's never bad blood in here. So, you know, we really do try and get that feeling of a community in here where you can throw work off to each other. Oh, I need somebody who can, you know, do graphic design work. Oh, here's a great company. They're already in the building. Or I need a web built. Well, here's a, here's a web building company. So that's one of the things that we do is we try not to have competition amongst our tenants. That's one of the things as as far as the, you know, the, the circulation areas go. So we do have a group of people who run the building. We have programming. It's not very often. It's pretty loose Mm because you know, we're all pretty busy, but we do do things like we have a ping pong tournament here and we will have probably 300 people entered into the singles ping pong tournament. Everybody will find who they have to play in the building. They'll come out, they'll play their match. They'll write it on the board. And then at the end we have a huge finals where we fill the stadium Balloons and beer and everything like that. So there is some programming that we do, and then tenants also use the space for themselves, however they want to use
1: it. Wow, is there a ping pong ladder?
0: There is a ping pong ladder. We all do know who are the professional ping pong players. (laughs) Yeah, when you when you get into the doubles tournament and you draw, there's about two different groups of guys that if you draw them, you just know you're done. It's also, you know, one of the other things that's really funny here is you can bring your dog to work here. So we have 80 registered dogs in the building every day. You have to register your puppy Uh and you can bring them to work. And it's kind of funny because if you look under most people's desks here, there's a dog, you know, there's 700 full-time employees working in the building. I would say Mm -hmm. we probably have five to 600 a day and 80 to 85 dogs, I think are registered right now. So it's, it's, you know, there's a lot going on when you want to to see everything that's going on. But again, if you want to put your head down and go to work, it's really easy to get work done here, uh-huh. which is you, it, is a difference.
1: You know, you you grew up in New York. You grew up in a family of contractors. You went to Villanova. You're an engineer. So kind of talk a little bit about your pathway into this, that, that kind of early years, and then New York, and then going to Jackson Hole, and then we'll yeah. reconnoiter there. So,
0: So I was a super, super lucky kid who grew up with parents that – let us be adventurous. So we, the three of us, I have two older brothers who both still work a little bit in the family business. My parents used to take us and we were all ski racers. And ever since I was a little kid, my dad was a contractor. He had to work all summer. We never went on vacation. We only went on vacation in the winter, but the kids loved to ski and my parents didn't. So I always say that because I always, my heart's always been Jackson Hole because they took me there for the first time when I was six. So it will weave back of how Jackson became Wait, home. If but, they took um, you
1: there, but they didn't ski? They, were they a didn't
0: ski. You. So they Let's, wanted uh, to pick a place where there was more than skiing. They skied a little bit, but not like us. I mean, we were all hardcore racers. I mean, okay. we went to Vermont every weekend, and we skied and skied and skied. That was kind of our – that was our family's thing as we were all skiers. So, yeah, I grew up – my dad was a contractor. He owned uh-huh. a heavy and highway construction company. All three of us at one point, as soon as we all graduated from college, went to work for the family business. My dad was really, really a brilliant man. And then when I was probably in high school, bought an aggregate and asphalt plant. And that's kind of all we knew. You know, The goal was that I would live across the street from my parents. I'd have kids, I'd have a family, and I'd work for my family business my whole life. Worked really well for one of my brothers, still runs the aggregate and asphalt plant. The other brother, Took the construction company, and then about four years ago, just decided that being a contractor is really tough work. So he decided to sell the company after 50 years. But for him, it was definitely the right choice. I, being a little bit more of the black sheep of the family, loved my job out of school. I never sat at a desk. I worked as a field engineer for my dad, and my first job was actually paving Interstate 84 in New York. That was my first project out of college as a 22-year-old female. And I loved it. I did. I just.
1: Something's missing. I got to tell you.
0: Something wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't the life that I wanted. It wasn't just action packed enough and not enough travel. And it just, it just didn't sit right. The, the biggest reason I really loved it is I would work all summer long and then I would get all my vacation. I'd be able to take a month or two and, you know, take about a month off in the winter. And I'd go scuba diving in Belize. I did one year. I went off to Thailand one year and, kind of always had that travel bug. And so one of those years when I had a bunch of time off, I headed back out to Jackson, which was my second home. And I met a crazy guy in a bar on a dance floor. And <laughs> a year later, he was like, well, I'll move to New York for you. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm done with New York. Like, I don't want to live in Manhattan anymore. I got to go. And I met Jason and quit quit my job with my family and was like, I'm really sorry, but I'm moving to Wyoming. And that yeah. was that. And you know, it, sold my it, car it, bought a little Subaru and drove across the country with Jason. That was that was the start.
1: I, I got to tell you, aggregate asphalt and interstate highways don't fit at all the place we no, started this it, conversation. It, you just, you know. No, gonna... it
0: was it was not. And I always laugh because I met my husband in a bar. Our second date we met and we met and went to California because I lived in New York. And our third date, we went heli skiing in Alaska. And. <laughs> That when we were done after that, we're like, okay, we got to figure this one out and and I, and figure out how we're gonna get married and make this work. So it,
1: it, it sounds like yeah. a very relaxing, calm, kind of Zen-like relationship that you. you oh, yeah, live my there. poor
0: yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. No, I so, think
0: I think my poor parents almost had a heart attack when we when I told them all this, but now they now they see it.
1: I think they got it. So, so then you moved to Jackson and you get into the event planning and branding business. Is that right?
0: Yeah. Cause I started looking for a job and when I realized what they wanted to pay a civil engineer, I was like, Oh God, this is terrible. My husband at the time was a pro skier. He was a big uh-huh. mountain free skier and did kind of all the Alaska type stuff and had just started a company with two of his buddies that was an event management and television company, and they needed some help on how, you know, there are three ex-pro athletes and had realized that they were getting older and you can't, you know, throw yourself off cliffs that long and wanted to get on the other side of it. So they decided that two of them would run the events. And my husband was like, well, I can produce television shows. He's like, I'm going to do that. And that's what he started to do. You know, he was always supposed to go back to med school, took a year off, moved to Jackson and became a pro skier and never looked at med school again. So he too had to figure out what he was going to do for the rest of his life when he became a grown up. So here we are, I moved out there, he's starting a company and I'm kind of watching and looking at jobs. And I was like, you know, I could probably help you guys out here. They had just landed the first national event for Red Bull. So this is back in, Oh God, 98, 99 mm-hmm. Red Bull had just had two people working in the U S and they hired What was called Mountain Sports International to run a big air event at Snowbird. and I was like, you know, guys, I could probably help you with the building, with the, with all this venue stuff and kind of kind of good project managing stuff, and they were like, that sounds great, and so I started working with them, and we were able to grow the business. We did a big we did a big air event, then we
1: got hired. What's an air event? Hold on one second. Big air, it's
0: like, it's like an X Games type event where there's a big jump and you do tricks off of it.
1: You know, this Jumping is right tricks. when the X
0: Games was, yep, it was right uh-huh. when the X Games started. We worked the X Games. We, we started kind of doing all that kind of event stuff. We did a heli-ski event. You know, we started running heli-ski events for Red Bull in Alaska. And I found a niche that I was really good at getting things like this permitted. You know, I uh-huh. worked for the Department of Environmental Protection. I had worked for the city of New York. I, I knew permitting. I knew how to build venues. You know, I could read drawings. We uh built a ski and snowboard ramp down Red Rock's amphitheater, um, and I knew how to do that. I knew how to manage that and get things built and the project management skills to run the events. so I became you know the person that did all of our large scale events around the world super fun
1: so how many years did you do that and then when what what why did you leave that why Why did you move to denver
0: so did that for about Ten years, I had three children in the process of this time, and it became really, really hard for me to manage large-scale events and be a mom to three kids. It was pretty intense work to do a couple million-dollar event in one day. So for me, we ended up getting out of doing the events and sold it to our partners because we just couldn't do it anymore. And we just did television so that I could kind of free up some time to be a mom that was a big thing. We also had one of our kids get very, very sick and we almost lost him to meningitis. So when we talk about moving, it was one, our television production business had grown and we couldn't keep our employees in Jackson hole anymore. It's so expensive there. You know, somebody hits 30 and it's time to go because they can't buy a house. And then also with our little guy having meningitis and having a bunch of medical issues and he's deaf and he's never going to be, the best athlete in the world. We started to realize that maybe we should try a city that's not that's isn't all about what'd you ski, what'd you climb, what'd you bike today. And mm-hmm. we wanted him to have some help at school had if he needed it. So we kind of thought Denver. You know, we're like, "Oh, mountains are still there for us. We'll go down for 18 months and we'll open an office in Denver, our employees who want to buy a house and can live there and then we can move back to Jackson Hole." And that's when Battery happened. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was we were coming to Denver for 18 months only. We rented a house. We, only, we rented our house out in Jackson. We rented a house. And it's so funny because I remember being here for three months and looking at my husband and going, I'm never going back. I'm staying. I love this city. And that was when we really then decided that we were putting our roots down and this was Denver was going to be home forever.
1: I'm guessing it wasn't on a cul-de-sac in a suburb in Denver. Where Where did you move?
0: No, nope. We moved to, to. We live in Denver. I would love to say that I live right down the street from where I work, but we actually live a little bit south in Denver, where there are families and where there are schools for the kids. Yeah, of course, you know, if it, you, it, you, if you can't buy a house in De- in in you know downtown. It's really hard with some of the laws in in Denver to buy a house or to buy a place to live. There, you know, the condo laws and stuff are pretty tough here. So we just live right downtown from Denver, but I can ride my bike to work still. I mean, we're 10 minutes. It's not like we're, we're not in suburbia. We're not in the mountains anymore. We're in, we're in an urban environment with the kids.
1: Bike commuting to work is one of the blessings of the world, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And we live on the bike path that takes us right to Rhino. So it's, it's, it's wonderful because we can, I ride to work all the time. And that's been one of the bigger things in Denver that, that I've worked on. And one is my, one of my passions is, is the, the bike world that's happening here.
1: The the, um, battery happened because you put your television production company and you were looking for a place to be a tenant. Yep. And the company's still there?
0: uh, Nope. We actually sold the production company. Yeah, it is still there. We actually sold it to one of our employees, and it Uh is still there. He's changed the name. So Wink, Inc. is now called Mile High House, and Mm -hmm. they still have our studios, and he's still there working away at battery and having a super successful business there.
1: That's great. And yeah. so it it sounds to me like there's there is a dis, there's no disconnect between your past and your present because all of the work you did in event planning seems to totally influence how you pulled together battery and industry. But maybe talk about that a little bit. I, I guess I want to be yeah. in an office building with an event planner because <laughs> maybe that's a great thing.
0: Well, and I think it is because, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, now everybody says, oh, you're an, you're an interior designer, right? That's kind of what people say I do. And obviously, I don't have a degree in that. And I can't sign off on drawings. I don't have an architecture degree. I say, but I always say what I have is a knowledge of space and flow. And I really do believe that comes from my event planning and thinking about what are your bottlenecks under an event going to be, you know, stupid things. Where do the bathrooms need to be? How do you need to eat? Where do people need to eat? How many tables do you need for, you know, when you're going to have 100,000 people? So I like to say that I just designed a space that is an event. We just call it work. But this mm-hmm. is an all-day event going on. And all that I've done here really work on how people move throughout their work day and how do you bring them together and then let them go back? designing, you know, and that's what the design is really about. Okay. I need quiet time. Boom. I need to make sure I have enough offices. Okay. I need, I, you know, work is really boring. So I, I like to say that I design the day and and it's the day into thirds, a third of my day. I put my head down. I work really hard. I'm drawing, I'm designing a third of my day is super boring. I'm doing emails, right? Okay. I got to get out of my office. I can go sit in a cafe. I can go sit on a high top. I can sit in some soft seating in a huddle room, Right? Mm -hmm. Emails, I can type, but I can look around and at least be engaged that way. And then it's not quite a third of your day, but a third of your day or you're trying to figure out how to reignite yourself to go back and put your head down and work again. I can play (laughs) ping pong, I can walk my dog, I can go outside on the roof deck. Like, what are those things that I need to rejuvenate? I can go to a yoga class and then put my head down and work again. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the philosophy behind industry and how it's designed and how do you move throughout the day? you know, and I think that's, that's one of the things that's been successful.
1: It's interesting in my house. If I work at home 10 years ago, I used to go to an office in my house and I would go sit in that dark room and do my thing. And then when we moved to an apartment, but we thought we'd have an office, my wife and I, cause you have an office in your home. No one has an office in their home anymore because they move around as they work because you know, the computer's portable. So you, go to the kitchen table, and then you go to the bar table, and then you go to the sofa, because you can't sit yeah. still no more.
0: No, I sit at my island, and then in our house, we we have a great garage door that I put in with a bar, and I sit at that outside. I mean, right. you know, and I move all day. I don't, I don't have an office in my house, but I work from home a lot.
1: Right. Yeah, I think that whole concept is gone. I have a place I put my files. That was the one thing I was worried about was the place for files, but there's nowhere I sit. That doesn't happen anymore. So tell me, what does your husband do in all this? So how, how do you and Jason split (laughs) this up?
0: So we're, we're pretty polar opposites in a lot of ways. We're both type A obviously, but I'm pretty tight with lists and I'm a doer. And Jason's that big picture vision that, that you need. I also say he deals with all the boring stuff and I deal with all the fun stuff. So, we definitely have very unique roles. He definitely does more of the banking, lawyering stuff than I do, and I tend to do more of the brand and design work. Um, mm-hmm. So we cross over ownership together, but he knows his world and I know my world, and we respect each other that way. I like to laugh because in industry, we moved in three years ago. This is the first time we haven't shared an office with each other since mm-hmm. we got married 15, over 15 years ago. But we definitely know... What each other's strengths are. I mean, if he needs something drawn or laid out, he'll come to me. And if sometimes, if I need help with the writing, I'll go to him. And you know, if it's a contract, he or you know, he reads it. And if it's you know, dealing with laying out spaces for tenants and aesthetics and that, I'll deal with it. And so we have some pretty unique divisions. We also have that he's kind of the more alpha A, and is more of the front man. And I tend to sit a little bit quieter than her and him in the background you know mm-hmm. public speaking is not usually my my thing conversations like this are great but if you have to put me up in front of a group and all that it's just not very comfortable so we we're pretty different that in that way too and it works really well we can play off each other
1: fair deal and you have yeah. a delineation of kind of your partnership responsibilities that works pretty well
0: it it works it works really well and that's not saying it's all beautiful all the time i mean you know we are a husband there, okay. and wife team and at the end of the day, you know, you get mad at each other at work and you don't want to take it home. So, I mean, there is, there is that part of it, but you know, we, we definitely do respect each other and, and, you know, our roles. And when push comes to shove, we kind of know who's, who gets to make a decision on it. You know, Mm -hmm. if it's a finance thing, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rock the boat. That's Jason's world. He knows it better than I do. But if it's a design architectural thing, I
1: have final say. Fair deal. And Titus, does Titus Kind of evenly split time at the office no. between you and Jason. Titus or? is
0: real. No, nope. Titus is usually no. with Jason. He's more Jason's dog. I have a, I have my own dog, but she doesn't come to work with me because she's a herding dog and she gets, she's just a little too wound up to be at the office with me every day. So we really even have cool. our own dogs, but when he's not around, I'll take over for with Titus.
1: <laughs> it wouldn't work. In, it wouldn't work with a deal. You have. So, and talk about community involvement. Have you have uh, as your business been involved in the community outside of your properties?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, personally, I'm inv- involved in a lot of things outside. As a community, we we do support different things. Jason and I both sit on various boards. You know, we're very, very involved with the Greenway Foundation, which was, you know, the river, the Platte River. Jason sits on the JID and the BID to get the Brighton Boulevard redone. And so I always do try and do one professional board and one personal board. It's kind of my philosophy is kind of build myself up And kind of round myself out. So, you know, personally, I sit on the board of the National Center for the Sports Disabled. You know, it's a Mm -hmm. ski, it's a board that takes disabled kids and to the mountains to ski and also does all of the kind of Paralympic training of skiers. So that's my big personal mission that I love. And then as far as professionally, I sit on the Denver Moves Transit Task Force. And I'm actually the chairperson for the transit kind of side of the new Denver plan, which is a whole new world for me because I'm not really a transit person. It's not something I really know, but it's been a really amazing experience to start to really understand the transit sy- systems and try and plan for a bigger and better Denver. It's been a, it's been really eye-opening to, to sit on that team professionally and how much I've learned.
1: How much of the transit plan is about asphalt, which you are a specialist in, and how much is that yeah, we're,
0: we're, we're, right, we're working on the mass transit. We're really working right. on the trains and the buses here. No, there is, we are not even looking at roads. You know, it's, and we do bikes. Again, the bike thing is a really big thing for me. I was really fortunate last year, I got to go with the city of Denver as a delegate to the Netherlands.
1: Um, they asked me to
0: go to learn how to build a bike-friendly city, and I went with a bunch of people from Public Works and a couple people from the private sector and a bunch of people from the mayor's office of Denver and spent a week biking through the Netherlands and meeting with all the different city officials on how they managed to do it and how to get people out of cars and onto bikes. It was pretty fascinating, mm-hmm. and then trying to bring it over to Denver.
1: Well, you're and, lucky you're in a, a flat that, city too.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. I, some of these cities that people bike all over, I can't – that's amazing. But but getting into Amsterdam and and Copenhagen and some of those cities and seeing how successful it's been, Denver has that potential. I mean, we are a flat city. We have the weather. I mean, there isn't a reason that if we plan properly that we couldn't we couldn't do that here.
1: Talk a little bit more about you know now that we've had this conversation about your background and things you're doing. A what's next? And then B, what, what more can you build or infuse into your projects that it the I don't believe is the wrong word, but style that you've described.
0: So what's next? So what is next is we are opening in November another industry in Denver. Another uh-huh. hundred and fifty thousand square feet will be opening at thirty eighth and walnut, which is the first stop on the light rail out towards the airport but that is well underway. We're actually we're, you know, inside the building and doing all the TI stuff now. So I'm pretty, pretty, pretty busy with that because that's my world. And we're also opening another battery. We're doing another lifestyle building. So kind of going to a new neighborhood, you know, River North has really blown up and exploded. So we're moving on to somewhere new in Denver on the outskirts where people don't normally go. Those are kind of the, so, so there's a lot on my plate right there. Those two properties. Yeah, opening. sure. Is. And, and then I also do, I'm also working on a project, probably one of my favorite projects of all time, is I helped design the Commons on Champa in Denver, which was a public private partnership with the Downtown Denver Partnership and the Technology Association. And it's an entrepreneurial hub where if you're going to start up, you start here. And it was a big give back project. And, mm-hmm. I'm also helping design those in other cities right now. So smaller scale ones, but kind of my passion project because I love that give back to the community and the entrepreneurism. So along with the industry, the battery, I have all of these little epicenters that I'm working with Comcast on that are give backs to the community that are entrepreneurial centers in, in different cities around the country. So that's, uh-huh. that's what's on my plate for the next year.
1: And talk about the different cities. So eight a, a, a different cities for the entrepreneurial incubator might not be the right word, but talk about that. And then can you take industry and battery concepts, which are somewhat segmented, yep. but can you take them to other cities? And is that an aspiration?
0: Yeah, most definitely. So I'll start with industry and battery. So our plan is to finish these two in Denver and then we have already been out there looking at where we will take those concepts next. Looking at, you know, we don't want to do every city in the world. We don't want to rule the world. We just want to build a couple great projects and a couple of great smaller cities. So we're on the road right now. Team is out finding out what those next cities are. But we, I would say for, the, for next year, we'd like to open one industry and one battery in a city outside of Denver and probably somewhere close to the Rocky Mountain West, middle of the country is kind of where we're looking. Probably mm-hmm. some cities that people don't necessarily think about when they think of tech and creative, but, you know, trying to look for that city of what Denver was when we moved here six years ago. You know, a city that doesn't have this yet and is really eager to see a project like this happen in their in their home. So that's, mm-hmm. that's industry and battery. So I think one, one of each in a, in a city or, you know, one battery in one city and one industry in one city. And then these five epicenters for Comcast are, they haven't all been announced yet, but I just finished up one in Nashville. I'm working on one in Pittsburgh, one in Seattle, and then I'm waiting for the next two to three cities for them to announce. They're looking at Boston, Atlanta, a couple different places, but kind of partnering again, public and private. And then I'm there with Comcast to just kind of show people how to do this since, 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 the Commons on Champa was the first one that was really done. You know, I'm kind of there as a resource for design and layout and programmatically and, and you know project management wise, whatever they kind of those cities feel they need help with. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. What's Comcast's involvement? What, what are they the They're sponsor? They're the sponsor.
0: They're the sponsor. Yep. They're the primary sponsor going into all these cities, and they are putting in the initial funding and helping put the partnership together. With either whether it be a technology association or a nonprofit, they're putting the partnerships together and they're putting in the initial funding and helping them to raise, you know, more funds to make it even bigger and better in each mm-hmm. city. And each epicenter is based on what the needs of that city that city is. You know, Nashville was based on technology, but right. Seattle will be based on companies that want to build a smart city and having a place to convene to help you know, build a smarter city, whether it be to, through technology, whether it be through apps or programming. Mm-hmm. So each city kind of has their own little niche of what's going on. Pittsburgh will be based on television and production and marketing materials. And if you're a startup, you can go there, create marketing reels or create, you know, whatever you might need technology wise there with sound booths or video production or reels that you might need.
1: Yeah. Ellen, I think we're running out of time. This has been a delightful conversation. You're doing fascinating work, and congratulations on it.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, and this has been super fun. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Leading Voices with ULI podcast, hosted by the Urban Land Institute. To learn more about ULI's leadership network or to join ULI as a member, please visit ULI.org.